0: Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in and tuning up. This is Scott Jensen with my ancient wisdom, Modern Health Podcast. Here, I share and explain how to get and stay healthy with Tai Chi, Qigong, and Kung Fu. Mixing interviews with incredible people and my own insights and experiences. We look for timeless wisdom and proven practices to be healthy and happy today. Today on our first episode, I will recount part of my journey and how I gained the knowledge and skills I am sharing with you. Berkeley, California in the 1960s was without a doubt, the most liberal city in the United States. It was really different from most of the United States. California itself was very different because it was so liberal in a different culture. And the sixties was a point of real upheaval in the United States, as everyone's aware. There's the civil rights movement going on. There's the Vietnam war. There was a lot of questioning and searching and wondering people's minds were changing and they were exploring. A real leading area in the entire United States was the San Francisco Bay area, Berkeley, California, and UC Berkeley itself. And that's where my father was a professor. So I was growing up in the midst of a very privileged intellectual community, but surrounded by the beginnings of what would become the new age movement. It was the hippie movement and the personal growth movement. There was a lot going on. Of course, I was a kid then, but uh, when the 1970s happened, Berkeley and San Francisco were still very different from the majority of the United States. And when I would travel in the rest of the country, it was different that I was just from California. Another aspect of the culture in the San Francisco Bay area Berkeley had more religious organizations, churches, temples of all types than anywhere else in the United States. And I believe at that point, more than a greater diversity, a greater number of churches per person than anywhere else in the world. If there was a cult, there was an office in Berkeley or Oakland or San Francisco. If there was a guru that was on tour, they were going to stop in San Francisco, guaranteed. If they came to the United States, they were going to stop in San Francisco. Uh, They might go somewhere else, but number one stop was going to be San Francisco. During this period, people did personal growth seminars. People felt that they weren't okay or they wanted to be better. They wanted to improve themselves. People were very interested in Eastern religions, Eastern thoughts, different philosophies, different ideas. People were exploring. (music) The Grateful Dead would roll into Berkeley and the entire town would be completely flooded, if it wasn't already, with hippies. The personal growth movement included all sorts of different types of seminars and teachers and workshops and teachings. It could be things like Est and Werner Erhard training. It could be Zen meditation retreats. It could be Native American shamans doing sweat lodges and ceremonies. It could be all sorts of people doing all sorts of things that they wanted or made up. There were psychics running schools and how to be a psychic reader and psychic healer. There were people studying tarot, people studying astrology, people studying Western cult, people studying different types of philosophy. There were people channeling disembodied entities and spirits. People were were going to these things. This was the scene in Berkeley, there was this very incredibly brilliant scientific community, rational and scientific as humans are capable of being. And then there was just the most far out wild, crazy, ridiculous stuff and everything in between all going on in the same city. Teaching Tai Chi has given me the immense satisfaction of helping thousands of people become healthier and happier because different people have different needs and capabilities. I designed the 10,000 victories, comprehensive Tai Chi online course to have five different paths. The foundation Tai Chi path focuses on learning and building your health at a normal, comfortable pace. The healing and longevity path is super easy with fewer movements and easy to follow pace, extra encouragement, and a great series of balanced development exercises. The athletic and graceful path takes your Tai Chi to the next level by enhancing your strength and flexibility while improving the beauty and flow of your Tai Chi. The classical combat Tai Chi path adds the martial side of Tai Chi, including pushing hands, self-defense technique, practice, and boxing skills. The Tai Chi sword path teaches you the magnificent and incredibly fun Tai Chi sword form. Combined, these five paths include well over 500 different lessons covering all aspects of Tai Chi. Learn more by going to 10,000victories.com. During this period, I was curious. I was reading everything I could. My father had always stressed the importance of if you're interested in a field of study, first thing you do is read every book that you can get on it, then start trying to do it, then start talking to people. But if you read all the books, you had a base of knowledge and you'd be able to understand what people were saying. If you learned the vocabulary, then when the real experts were telling you things, you'd be able to follow their comments. So I was a big reader, really inherited that love of reading from my father. I read about all these different things and I went to all sorts of different workshops and programs, at least a hundred retreats. Sometimes I was scheduling one meditation retreat one weekend. I'd have five days of martial arts training during the week, and then I'd have another retreat on the weekend. I remember one time I did that seven weekends in a row, at which point I was pretty fried. (laughs) This period of exploring and meeting different teachers and hearing all these different ideas was very, very exciting for me. On occasion, some of the teachings were really very valuable to me. I did have some very deep and profound experiences in some of the retreats that I did that have given me a lot of insight ever since then into what I do and teach. The other thing about the period of this personal growth period that was happening in the 1980s was this was also the period when I was completing my bachelor's degree. My bachelor's degree is in philosophy and I have minors in business and history. I almost got a third minor in political science. From my martial arts studies and from my reading and attending all of these different workshops and seminars and trainings and teachers, I felt that I had been exposed to Eastern philosophy, but I also wanted to become grounded in Western philosophy and Western thought, understand more of both the scientific method and logic and to ground myself after a pretty exotic period of studying different things this isn't the same culture that we have now people aren't doing personal growth workshops attending all sorts of cults and religions in in anywhere near the quantity that they did at, in this time frame there's still all of these things but instead of being concentrated in the rare enclave, almost like a little isolated community in the San Francisco Bay Area. Now these things have spread out to all over the United States. There's Asian minorities in all of the 48 states. There's all of these different groups have spread out or they've just faded away because it's no longer as relevant. Growing up in the 1960s and 1970s in the San Francisco Bay Area, I had an opportunity to study all sorts of things that might not have been available in many other places in the United States. In the 1960s, I didn't know them, but I was only a few miles from Bruce Lee and Wong Jackman when they had their famous match in Oakland. 1980s San Francisco kung fu scene was very vibrant. There were lots of teachers and there were lots of schools, lots of people wanted to learn Kung Fu. During that time in the 1980s, me and my friends would go to San Francisco. We'd go to Chinatown and we would walk around and there were seven or eight different Chinese movie theaters, all showing different movies and look at the poster. And if there's a fight scene in the poster, that was good. They often had a little speaker right outside that would play the soundtrack from the movie. And you could listen to the movie outside. We didn't speak any Chinese at all, not, not even a single word. But if we heard a lot of punching and kicking and slapping and yelling, then we'd be like, oh, okay, sounds like a good one. Yeah. And then we would look at the next Showtime and we would look at all the movies and then go watch a Chinese Kung Fu movie without subtitles and not understand a word of it and love every minute of it. Later, there were some subtitles, um, but many of those early ones, we didn't even have them. And then we'd be all excited and we would try and steal moves from the movies and go practice and go hang out at a park somewhere or somebody's house. Just this huge excitement at discovering these secrets, exploring this hidden treasure of Kung Fu. The scene in San Francisco, there were Chinese Kung Fu schools in Chinatown, but there were also in almost all of the parks in the city, especially the major parks like Golden Gate Park, Washington Square Park, there were Kung Fu teachers and there were classes and there were Tai Chi teachers. I remember just driving to Golden Gate Park in the 70s, there was there's this, and the 80s, there's a a long area called the Panhandle, which leads into the park. It's quite wide. It's at least a whole city block, big city block wide. And there's plenty of flat areas, basketball courts, and lawns that people could practice on. And there would be four, five, ten at times different teachers at different areas just in the Panhandle. And then there were three or four different areas in the actual Golden Gate Park where people were teaching Kung Fu. Many of these were very legitimate teachers. They had authentically studied the classical styles and that's where they were teaching. Some people were teaching in community centers. Some people were teaching in churches. San Francisco has a large fort called Fort Mason, which was designed to withstand bombing and to load troops onto transports for fighting in the Pacific theater in World War II it had been converted into a place where classes could be held. Many nonprofits had offices. There must have been at least 10 different teachers at different times during the week and doing different things, different arts. This is where Wong Jackman taught, but he wasn't the only one that, that taught in that building. If you wanted to study a style of martial arts from virtually anywhere in the world, you could probably find one of the top teachers from that style somewhere in the Bay area. In many cases, you might be able to find five or ten different teachers from that style in the Bay Area. A good example is Aikido. Outside of Japan, the San Francisco Bay Area had the strongest Aikido scene in the entire world. The reason is, is many people from California went to Japan in the sixties and seventies and studied under the founder Ushiba and came back to California. And because they studied for a long time and lived and trained with the founder, they were some of the top ranked people in the world. If you look at almost any style of Asian martial arts, judo, karate, many styles of karate, kendo, jiu-jitsu, classical jiu-jitsu, this was just before Brazilian jiu-jitsu arrived. The Filipino stick fighting arts and uh, knife fighting arts. Many styles of traditional Kung Fu, but mostly from Southern China, from the Hong Kong area. That was most of the Kung Fu. Top Korean martial artists. Many of the best in the world were in the Bay area. So all of these different styles were mixing in the San Francisco Bay area, and it was very vibrant. A lot of the theme in the 70s and 80s, people were wondering, what's the best style? The first styles that came to the United States of martial arts were the Japanese styles after World War II. Then we had some Korean styles after the Korean War as soldiers from our armed forces brought those styles home. In the 1970s, when the Beijing Wushu team traveled the world for the first time, opening up China. They came to San Francisco. My father, when he heard about the Wushu troop coming from China, that sounded really exotic and different, and he took all of us. So in 1974, I had the opportunity to see the child star of the team, Li Lianji, who now everyone knows as Jet Li, perform. And he was amazing. It was unlike anything that any American kid could do. No children that I knew could do anything like what he was capable of. And it was very inspiring. (music) The uh, Kung Fu TV series starred David Carradine, who played Kwai Chang Kane, his character wandered the wild west and tried to avoid conflict, but was always drawn into it and then used the least force that he could from his kung fu skills to defend himself and try to bring harmony back to the situation. So every episode was both a cowboy show, a kung fu show, had a philosophical lesson, and there was some fight scenes. So it had something for everyone. The level of violence and the morality and lessons around it were really positive, so it was an acceptable show to families. We all watched it. it. inspired all of us that have done martial arts since then, in one way or the other. Thank you for joining me and listening in. I would love to hear from you. If you have questions, please send them to practice at 10,000victories.com. Also, please remember to subscribe and share. Until our next episode, where I will continue to talk about my journey, be well and stay happy.